I've reached over 1,000 listeners now, and I think it's time for me to dig a little deeper into the metaphysical side of things. The aspect of femdom that causes you to have strange dreams and allows you to feel my cool fingertips gently touching your neck, even when I'm many, many miles away. So hold on for dear life. Unstick your old belief systems. It's time for the weird stuff. Hello, this is Viola Strepsada Volteri. Hello, this is Viola Strepsada Volteri. And you're Hello, this is Viola Strepsada Volteri. And you're listening to Obedient Love. Some of you have zero interest in what can only be called the spiritual side of domination. And that's fine. As long as you're happy serving and finding fulfillment in pleasing women or making your dominant partner happy, it's really not necessary to make it into anything more. If that's you and you're turned off by any hint of the non-empirical, non-rational world of anti-reason and the divine feminine, skip this episode. You'll probably write it all off as nonsense anyway, and I don't want to waste your time. But if I have your curiosity piqued, then let's dive in. I've been getting requests from those who think of femdom as their religion, asking me to explain a bit more about the divine feminine and the living goddess tradition. And that makes a lot of sense to me, that after feeling your submission more deeply, you'll want to know more about this. Now, just a warning, I'm going to be very frank about my thoughts and feelings here, and I may lose some of you, and that's okay. Just know that I will never ask that you agree with everything I say. I'm not here to proselytize, but to share my own particular view of things. As I wrote in my book, 150 Years of Gynarchy, I was raised without the yoke of the Abrahamic belief system of the world's big three, Islam, Christianity, and Judaism. I'm grateful for that, Without it, I was free to explore the wider world of religion, ritual, and spirituality. No one pre-programmed my brain to believe in or fear an almighty father figure who makes up a bunch of unreasonable rules and then tricks you into breaking them. From an outside perspective, you have to understand Yahweh does seem like a trickster spirit who has caused quite a lot of pain, harm, conflict, and destruction in this world. Crusades wars in his name, the murder of so-called heretics, the denial of science, the blatant personal and sexual abuse in many churches, homophobia, the list is long, you name it. He does indeed work in mysterious ways, gaslighting his children every chance he gets and drawing them into a cycle of trauma bonding through fear, desperation, confusion, punishment, neglect, and abandonment. If you are a devout Christian or Muslim or Jew, I won't apologize to you for my observations. Your God has quite a lot of damage to answer for in my eyes. The near destruction of the planet we call home, for one. Now, you may say, no, 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 that's not what my religion is all about. You've got it all wrong. As a Christian, I'm taught to love everyone. And I've read your books more than once. Whomever Jesus was based on, he was trying his best to reform your big old death cult. But look what happened to him. 
He was murdered and then absorbed right back into the satanic death cult's mythology as a martyr and human sacrifice. How convenient. I mean, tell me how many Christians still read the Old Testament and still fear the fires of hell if they don't obey, despite Jesus saying his God was just and loving. Despite him saying he gave his life so that you wouldn't have that fear. It's either endure hell and hardship on earth or be damned to eternal hell in the afterlife for enjoying life on earth just a bit too much. And to me, all of that is 100% political. Your religious books are the perfect tools for patriarchy. Patriarchs thump on their books as proof that they, as men, are the natural-born leaders of home and world. That the penis gives them dominance as a birthright. And frankly, I just don't buy it. It was not drilled into my head from the time I could speak, so I'm free from the indoctrination. I've never had to take it all as a given or as a truth. Now, Gnostics and Sufis will have a lot to say in favor of their religions, but what I don't quite get is why Gnostics and the like, being all about experiencing God directly, would be beholden to the scriptures at all. They don't seem to really believe them in the way that Orthodox Christians or Muslims or Jews might. Not sure why they would maintain the obligatory attachment to Abrahamic religion if they're getting into the metaphysical. It doesn't make all that much sense to me, other than being a sentimental attachment to tradition. So, in my explorations, what are my conclusions beyond the opinion that Abraham was just a madman who released a great evil into the world? I spent many years studying philosophy and religion. In fact, I sequestered myself away for half a decade exploring that alone. And what makes most sense to me is this. Everything around us, from the largest mountain to the tiniest atom, is made of vibration. In short, Nada Brahma, the world, is sound. And all of that sound emerges from silence. The silent nothing vibrates and then becomes something, matter, energy, even thought. Silence has a name in my religion, Shiva. You may recognize Shiva as the Hindu god of destruction. And if you think of the nature of ultimate annihilation, it is when there exists nothing but absolute stillness and silence. No past, no future, no memory, and no plans or imaginings. No time. Just the infinite, absolute now. Returning to that state, or just dipping your toes into it, is achieved in two ways, either through silent meditation or through a kind of frenzied dance of absolute action that wipes out all time and space. Two paths of meditation and ecstasy, both leading to that unmoving silence. Vibration, that essence of all things that are, also has a name, Shakti. Without Shakti, not one thing you know as a reality could possibly exist. It would be all unified silence and timelessness. I use Shakti's other related name, Devi. And Devi is the feminine principle, not feminine genitals, but the feminine principle. It is the vibration of creation, of beauty, movement, and even the dance of destruction itself. Please try not to be distracted by the fact that I use Sanskrit words. It is the oldest language used for describing these concepts. 
If that's a barrier to your understanding, you may call them whatever you like. These ideas are not married to any one language, culture, or religion. This is some of the most ancient recorded philosophy known to human beings. Those with metaphysical savvy might want to replace Shiva or Shakti or both with the word God. Or to create a version of the triple aspects of creator, created, and the process of creation as a trinity that fits neatly into a patriarchal version of spirituality. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. With the mother as not much more than a passive and virginal footnote. However, I personally feel that it's past time to distance ourselves from the viral madness of Abraham, the strain of which is highly contagious and detrimental to the health and well-being of this organism called planet Earth. From a biological standpoint, human life cannot happen without women. We are essential to creating a new person and bringing them into the world, as is Debbie essential for any kind of creation at all. And the human body is the most sophisticated creation. Our bodies are, so far, the one and only mechanism on this planet for experiencing self-consciousness, an awareness that we are, and the ability to ask, what am I? Human bodies are one of the best ways for Devi to know herself, to see herself, and to play with herself in endless ways. So, as women, Devi works through us to facilitate an unending supply of bodies of perception and self-consciousness. Within our wombs, these marvelous mechanisms are formed, reproduced in unique variations, not one exactly like the other. We are all the essence of the universe playing with itself, finding novelty in its existence and toying with every possibility and every combination of possibilities. Our ability to birth a new consciousness and our unique ability to embody the divine feminine makes women powerful expressions of Devi. This is why witchcraft was so feared. Historically speaking, it was women who were revered or reviled as powerful witches and healers and who stood up against patriarchy, feudalism, and eventually early capitalism. If you'd like to know a little more about the history of that in depth, I suggest you read a book called Caliban and the Witch by feminist scholar Sylvia Federici. In short, within Western history, in order for organized religion and exploitative economies to take hold, powerful mystical women had to be brought to heel through violence and fear-mongering. And thus began millennial-long smear campaigns and outright crusades against the women thought to possess metaphysical powers. It was 100% political and 100% about power and control over people, and not at all about any sort of spiritual enlightenment. God's plan, the plan of Abraham's God at least, seemed to be to snuff out the divine feminine anywhere it could be found. The irony is the preachers who preach against the devil are the ones who want to keep him firmly enthroned. Abraham's trickster god is the only one who threatens to send you to eternal suffering, the only one with the authority to send you to hell and torment you in ways that you can't even begin to imagine, if you displease him. He invented and controls hell in order to keep humans from experiencing knowledge of Devi. Without that threat of damnation, he's nothing. Because the mother, Devi, is playful, loving, 
welcoming, and she vibrates within your very DNA. She is your life force. The most hardcore Abrahamics don't like dancing and wild music because they know through it, Debbie will light up inside of you and you will then come to know her through vibration and the celebration of this amazing mechanism of the body, which automatically responds to sound. What the strict Orthodox Puritans fear is the movement of creation within you that lights you up and sweeps you up in Devi's ecstasy. Knowledge of Devi is forbidden because that knowledge makes you realize that all the strictures and rules are a trick to keep you afraid and obedient to patriarchal systems of power and hierarchy. There's even some speculation regarding the similarities between the words devil and Devi. Though their roots are quite different, devil originated from the Greek word meaning to oppose or the adversary. Devi is Sanskrit, which means divine or bright and shining one. The rejection of polytheistic thought by strictly monotheistic religion might have associated the word Devi itself with the notion of the adversary, or in Judeo-Christian thinking, the devil. I suppose from the etymological standpoint, since I am opposed to the Abrahamic God, I am quite a devil. The embodiment of Devi, the shining one. Also, I think it's no coincidence that Christianity poses Lucifer, literally meaning the shining one or the bringer of light, as the devil. Abraham's God seems to be all about keeping folks in the dark. Knowledge is forbidden fruit. Knowledgeable humans are so much more difficult to control, after all. Bringing things into light is obviously pretty problematic for old Yahweh. Best his followers not see what's really going on behind the curtain. Stay innocent. That is why I relate him to nothing more than a highly effective trickster spirit, stirring up endless trouble for the human race. He's a spiritual virus. You need only examine history and the chaos and destruction done in his name to see it. Bringing light to that reveals the unrelenting horror of a god without any real moral consistency at all. A disruptive, deceptive force. From the beginning, Abraham's idea of loyalty to his malevolent spirit included the attempted murder of woman's creation, his own son. I don't have to make this stuff up. All I need to do is examine the scriptures and the professed belief systems of those three major religions, which are very often at odds with each other, let alone non-believers. Even after the natural sciences began to dispel the fear and superstition perpetuated by organized religion, the patriarchy used empiricism as a tool to try to avoid and diminish Debbie constricted with fear of the power of the infinite and irrational feminine, men tried to narrow their view of the universe in order to have a grip on it, to conquer it, to make it easier to grasp. The patriarchal systems are adaptable to whatever means of power is available. There is a form of patriarchal rule which is currently tied strongly to masculine forms of reason and logic. It is rigid and exclusionary. Reason and logic are quite useful to a point, in understanding the world from the perspective of the intellect. They light the path of a comparatively positive form of masculinity. But intellect is only useful to an extent. It dissects in order to understand the whole. Without the bigger picture, which includes all the many ways of knowing and understanding, it can be a bit detrimental. 
like a joke pulled apart and examined for meaning. Constant fragmentation and classification can sometimes kill pleasure and joy. And what it can't empirically record, this masculine path rejects. Not because things you cannot prove are not real, or at least not subject to the reality of broader human experience, but because it simply doesn't know what to do with them. You'll still see this in action when you hear some atheist sneer at traditionally female-led arts like astrology or tarot card reading and the like. But there were a few brilliant scientists who tried to wrap their minds around the notions of Devi. They'd gotten hold of the Vedas and tried to make sense of them. And it resonated with them in a way that made them feel closer to having a clear and holistic view of the nature of all creation and of our existence. Heisenberg, Bohr, Schrodinger, Tesla, all men of high intelligence and unquenchable curiosity who understood this idea of the vibration that births and shapes our reality. Through cut-out keyholes of intellect, they caught glimpses. Even so, some used this knowledge to try to conquer nature, as men have been wont to do for many thousands of years. I have a favorite excerpt from the Cyber Feminist Manifesto for the 21st Century that I often love to share. We are the modern cunt, positive anti-reason, unbounded, unleashed, unforgiving. We believe in joissance, madness, holiness, and poetry. We are the virus of the new world disorder, rupturing the symbolic from within. For me, this is the expression of the divine feminine written as future-looking feminist manifesto. Positive anti-reason, unbounded by masculine logic, unleashed from the bonds of organized religion or empiricism, unforgiving in the way it will take over your life and make you experience things that no logic could hold. Joissance, madness, holiness, poetry. In short, the essential ingredients of witchcraft. So, how does all of this lead into femdom as a religious practice? There is a long and rich history in both Indian and Western pre-Abrahamic religious practice. I refer to it as the living goddess tradition. The woman's body as literal, sacred expression of Devi. Woman as living, breathing, speaking, touchable deity. Any woman with a proper understanding of her real power, a loving and responsible acceptance of her influence over others, and the right amount of adoration and devotion from others can become goddess. It's really as simple as that. And through worshiping her in rituals of bhakti or devotion, surrendering to her and performing seva or selfless service in her honor, you will reach the ultimate goal and purpose of religious devotion. That goal is what I call the opening of the heart. That is the full and profound experience of empathy, love, compassion, and unity that is crucial to our spiritual evolution and, in fact, to our very survival as a species. Without it, due to greed, selfishness, and exclusion, we exhaust plentiful resources, fracture into endlessly warring divisions, and we go extinct. And this marvelous human body and brain, so unique in its ability to experience self-consciousness, will be no more than a failed 
experiment. Having a goddess in front of you, whom you can hear and touch, can move you to selfless service and heart-opening experiences, and that allows you a focal point for your growth, and by extension for the growth and evolution of the human race. She is a consecrated and concentrated energy source, a particular vibration, a tone to which you can tune your life. Now that's a new perspective on the concept of atonement. And having a living, breathing goddess will act as a catalyst, igniting the most powerful, erotic, and life-supporting energies inside of you. She will turn you on and make you fall in love in ways you may never have experienced before. And that's the door to a whole new kind of perception. She allows you to feel the existence of Devi. Surrender, submit, sacrifice, serve, these are all required conditions of our ultimate survival and our thriving as living, interconnected beings. Like I said in my talk about generative power, your living goddess can be a core generator around which many will dance and vibe. This is the nature of the goddess, the guru, the saint. Dreams and visions are not uncommon to those who find their living goddess. Some may even see a form of her appear in front of them from thin air, like a succubus or an apparition. In extreme cases, you may have physical symptoms, become unable to sleep or eat properly, become overwhelmed with constant arousal, or even feel a little possessed, thinking of nothing but her. And yes, these are the things that witches were burned for. Some psychologists have referred to it as a spiritual emergency, from the idea that some new experience of yourself and your understanding comes out, it emerges. These things are not always consciously caused by the woman, but they are the result of an important alignment between her and the person having the experience. You may have dreams of her, experience synchronicities after meeting her. This is part of yourself enlivening and waking up, maybe for the first time, dancing to her groove, if you will. It can be frightening and send you running back into the safety of the religion into which you were indoctrinated from birth. Or it can feel amazing and liberating and cause all the rest to fall away like quaint childhood traditions of the Tooth Fairy or Santa Claus. You'll recognize it when it happens. And when it does, whether you feel terrified or ecstatic, it tells you that this particular goddess, this woman, has the ability to activate you. Knowing this, you can focus your devotion on her and begin reaping the benefits of this heart-opening experience that you are designed to have. As I said, Devi is inside your very DNA. A goddess can reach into you and set her in motion in ways that you've never felt before. There is a reason why worshiping women, serving women, bowing down to women is such a turn-on for you, and it has been for so long. This goes way beyond a simple kink. It's part of yourself trying to come alive, embrace the divine feminine, grow and evolve toward the best, most fulfilling expression of your human experience. That's pretty mind-blowing stuff, and because it doesn't come with the weight of the repression of Abrahamic traditions, it allows you to explore every method, every aspect of your body and mind to open your heart wide. Not just fear and sacrifice, but pleasure, 
pain, laughter, release, bondage, sexuality, sensuality, transcendence, denial, indulgence. In short, it is the essence of spiritual abundance. In context of the divine feminine and the living goddess tradition, femdom as religion makes perfect sense. So if you felt this way or had a flash of insight around that, know that you were onto something. And it's something well worth exploring further with the right goddess. So allow yourself to fall, to be vulnerable, to dance with Debbie. Allow yourself to become bewitched, entranced, and enraptured by a woman. You have nothing to fear but your own awakening. The knowledge of Devi has been so repressed in many cultures for so long, and yet you can still feel her. You can sense her vibration even as I speak. She's calling you home. I'm calling you home. All you need to do is remember her.